We come now to our time where uh, we open up God's Word. Uh, We have been opening up to the beginning chapters of Exodus, and we continue there this morning. Uh, If you would, and I hope that you do have your Bibles with you, uh, open up uh, your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2. We start in verse 16 this morning. Uh, When the time comes and uh, I begin to read, those words will also uh, uh, be visible on the screen. But uh, while... We have our people opening up to the Word, and I hope you are, to Exodus chapter 2. I have a question. It's really a a philosophy uh, that we have and that uh, we—it's not just our country, but since we're in America, I think we can use America and and our uh, our culture, uh, especially in business and in uh, the workplace and things like that. Uh, Do you consider a a strong person— or a weak person to be more of a worthy leader? Who is, who is more worthy? Who is worthier, a strong person or a weak person? Who should lead? Uh, the answer that, even if you are trying to do a Sunday school answer and you're saying weak just because you think that's the right answer, or maybe because you know, uh, we, we uh, typically lean to strong. Uh, we want somebody strong to lead. Uh, who, is he or is she strong? Are, are they ready uh, with uh, a charisma, maybe is how you might describe it, or a knowledge? Maybe they're strong in their knowledge. Are, are they wise? Have they learned what they need to learn to do what they need to do? Uh, Are they a strong person? However you want to parse that out and define it. Are they strong? I think we would say yes. We would rather have that person than the weak one. But we see time and time again in Scripture that that is not how God operates. Uh, We get this formally in the Word in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, but we see it by example over and over and over. Uh, King David, uh, as uh, the prophet Samuel went to David's family and was talking to David's dad, uh, he started with the oldest, the tallest, and the strongest, the one that looked the best and looked like a king. And Samuel said to himself, this is a prophet of God. This is the king. He looks like it. He's strong and ready to serve, right? He's got the charisma. No, 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 said God. He's not the one. And he goes down the list, right? All of Jesse's children, right? And they say, Samuel says, God's telling me the king's coming from you, Jesse, but do you have another son? And of course, that little ruddy, that's how the scriptures uh, describe him, ruddy David, out shepherding the flock, the weak one, the one that was looked over, that did not have it as we look at the world, was the one that God used. Moses, in the same way this morning, we're going to see. Paul, later on, that uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, look it up if you are unfamiliar with the things I'm about to say, but he had a thorn in the flesh. It made him weak. Uh, Literally, he was physically weak. People perhaps would have made fun of him. If you looked at him, you would have said, there's no way this is an apostle of God. He doesn't have it. He's not fit. Where's Paul? Where's the real one? And yet Paul was content with that weakness. Why? I hope you remember it because God said that his grace is sufficient, that God would use Paul's weakness and he would take Paul and then he would move Paul aside and through Paul he would reveal himself and God would be presented in strength as Paul, a mere human, 
shown in his weakness. The same is true uh, as we see all of the leaders in Scripture. The same is true for your pastor. Uh, all you have to do is have a couple interactions with me for you to say, oh, yeah, I thought, I thought that he had it all together, but no, he doesn't. Uh, but, but that's the reality. It's the truth that we begin to see. And that's our main point this morning. Because as you look at yourself in the mirror, Oftentimes in the world, we try to be strong. In this season, let's present ourselves as strong, as strong right? Let's, let's have strength. Let's, uh, if you're in a family, let's take pictures for Facebook that show all our children smiling and how content we are to be able to teach them uh, all, not only scripture, but also uh, their different lessons at school, uh, all of these different pieces. Let's, let's present ourselves as, as strong in this season or, or, uh, 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 let's continue in work because I'm essential and I've got to continue because I'm strong, right? Even though on the inside you're screaming weakness, weakness, or maybe you're not and you're, you're teetering on that precipice of burnout, that stress and that fatigue, that weakness is creeping up on you. Your muscles feel like you can't go any further and all you want is for your head to hit that pillow so you can keep on going for another little while. That moment right there is where we find Moses. It's our main point, and it is so uh, important for us to see this from the Word. When you are weak, God reveals His strength and His working in you when we are weak and when we acknowledge such things. May the Lord bless us as we read His Word this morning. Let me pray for the reading first. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you are strong because when we truly take account of ourselves, we know we are weak. And so Holy Spirit, please enter into us extraordinarily this day and give us strength of eye and strength of ear that we might see and hear what it is you have for us in your word, the word that has been given for our good and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is Exodus chapter 2, starting with verse 16. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Reuel, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. The grass withers, the flowers fade, the word of the Lord, it, it stands, it remains forever. Praise be to God for his working in our lives through his word. 
Now, uh, there's one point today that we will uh, focus in on and hone in on to see this main point uh, that God works in our weakness and reveals his, his strength in the working. Uh, and that point is our roots, where we come from, who we are, our identity as followers and people of God. Uh, but before we get there, there's a whole lot of context surrounding this point, this, this roots, this identity point that shows that God is working out of our weakness, humanity's weakness in, in a lot of ways, to, to show his own strength. And, and so let's work on this context. I, I think really, uh, for those of you who are taking notes, this is probably like point one and point two if you wanted a three-point sermon for your, for your note-taking uh, capacity. But uh, for context, before we get to this roots moment uh, in verses 21 and 22, as we're looking to see that uh, when we are weak, God is working and showing his strength, uh, for context, we see compassion done right in verses 16 and 17, and then we see that God really loves wells in verses 18, 19, and 20. Now, this is context, and it's very important. Uh, compassion done right is where we begin, and this is so uh, uh, vital for us to remember the progress that Moses is making spiritually. Where has he been where is he coming from and where is he now? Uh, we can't just scoop these verses out of the Bible and take them on their own because Moses is sitting at this well. And if you were with us last week, he's sitting at the well, not out of joy, but out of fright. He has fled Egypt. Moses, uh, a royal man, because uh, he was scooped out of the water by the princess, by Pharaoh's daughter, and lived this life of luxury, uh, but uh, as he grew, he still identified not with the Egyptians, but with the Hebrews, with God's people. Those Hebrews were enslaved. Not only were they enslaved, they were severely enslaved, uh, made to do serious and hard manual labor, beaten when they did not do the right thing. And of course, if you recall, Moses killed an Egyptian slave master who was beating a Hebrew. And uh, that uh, uh, was compassion done wrongly. Uh, if you remember that point, uh, he took something that he truly cared about, God's people, his people, and yet his compassion, his right and good desire in the blink of an eye transitioned into heinous sin, the killing of another human being. No, Moses. And of course, he was found out. Even his own people pointed the finger at him, and Moses fled. And he fled all the way to Midian, the wilderness, and he sat down at a well. And if you recall, this was last Sunday, we sat down at the well for a moment with Moses, where I then sought to apply some of these principles of what it means for us to not let our compassion go wrong, to allow and see what the Lord is doing. That is where he is coming from and where he finds itself. But all of a sudden, Moses, in his weakest state, Egypt is gone. He is not a noble man here. In this moment, we see Moses at the well reveal a compassion 
done right. He does not know these seven daughters. And as we see uh, in this telling, as, as it's recorded, Moses isn't seeking anything. He stays at the well. Uh, the father of the daughters, he has to say, hey, go go back and get him. Where is he? Uh, so Moses wasn't seeking lodging uh, or a, a wife or uh, a family or a flock. He, he was seeking nothing. All he saw was seven people, seven women who were in need, being un, uh, being not treated rightly uh, by these bad shepherds. Uh, Moses is in the, uh, the birth moment of revealing who he would start to be, which is a shepherd of the flock. He would start with sheep. Uh, he would transition in God's call to people, and he would be the shepherd of God's people, the prophet of God's people, that revealer of the great and good shepherd, the great I am, the Lord Jesus himself. But, but in this fledgling moment, Moses in his weakest point, sitting at the well, unsure of where his life was going to go. He knew he couldn't go back to his old one. What was he to do? He sees seven daughters and they're in need. Uh, uh, As I have said before, especially in the Old Testament, it's true in the New Testament as well. uh, When women were alone and you see it written like this, they are in danger in all likelihood. Uh, uh, There was not a police system in the wilderness of of, uh, Midian. There uh, was great opportunity for bad men to do bad things, especially to women who a lot of times did not get the uh, proper status uh, that they deserved, uh, the import of simply being human. They were looked down upon. And so here we see these young ladies who were in trouble. Uh, They were trying to water their father's flock. They were trying to get a little bit of farm work done. These shepherds, in all likelihood, were also trying to get farm work done. And they were getting upset because only one person can draw out of the well at a time. And so they trying to drive him away. But Moses happened to be sitting at that well, and he saw what was going on. He saw that unjust treatment, and with compassion done rightly, drove those people away, not seeking anything in return. He drove that uh, evil away, and then he sought to serve in humility. He drew the water out. He gave that water to those sheep. He helped those women, and then he sat right back down at the well. Uh, You could consider that depression or maybe not getting paid or whatever, but Moses is doing compassion rightly. He is, to use the exact uh, definition of compassion, uh, cum passion, to suffer with. Uh, he is seeing the plight of people in need, and he is seeking with compassion to serve uh, without recompense. He's revealing the Lord and the Lord's call that 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 God is going to be putting on him very soon. Uh, compassion done right. It's important as context. As Moses is being laid low into weakness, out of strength, we uh, we begin to see what's happening in Moses's life as God is working. We're going to get there. But before we do, there's some more context, and it's the simple fact that God really loves wells. Uh, listen, it's a fact. I, I, I'm not sure how far we want to take this 
point, this context, but, but it is true. In the Old Testament and in the New, God loves wells. It could be something about the reality that there is life that comes out of this, that in a barren land, here is a sustaining and cleansing and cleaning water. Uh, it could be something uh, about the reliance on a well, where, uh, where do you go if you need something? You go to the well. It could be about the importance. In the Old Testament especially, people would gather at the well. You see this later on in God's people's history at a place called Beersheba, which is the seven wells, where uh, a lot of times uh, different uh, peoples would come together and they would make treaties and things like that at this common ground where shepherds would go to uh, to water the sheep. Uh, and so uh, all of this plays out at wells and God reveals himself over and over at these places. He reveals himself through those treaties that I just mentioned. He reveals himself through the finding of this sustenance. He reveals himself uh, through this work of justice that we see here at the well. He reveals himself, as I mentioned to you parents, in John 4, as Jesus himself talks about that water that never runs out. Oh, that water that quenches your thirst, that you never need to draw it up again. There's no tiring motion of pulling that rope up, dropping it back down day in and day out. Once you have Christ, you have total cleansing and quenching because of what he is doing in your life. There is a constant moment where we see throughout the Bible that God loves wells. Here's the point for context. If you see a well, look for God. Okay, uh, you know that something momentous is about to happen if a well pops up in the scriptures. This isn't a main point or anything like that. It's context. Remember, uh, this is context setting the stage for what's about to happen, which is that main point, that identity, those roots that Moses is going to reveal for us that we see by the Holy Spirit should be revealing in our own hearts as we move with that main point that in our weakness, God shows himself strong, right? Uh, but in this moment, right now, remember, God loves wells and he works right there. There uh, are a lot of different cheesy ways I could take this. I'm not going to though. Uh, you know, what are the wells of your life and things like that. But here in the Bible, know this for a fact. Physically, when you see a well, God is nearby. Okay, now that's context. Let's get to the point. Identity, our roots, where we come from, who we are, however you want to say that. I had trouble kind of figuring it out. On my notes, I have the word roots uh, I, just because. But it, it's to help us see that main point that when you are weak, then God is strong and reveals his working. What's in a name? What's in a name? Uh, it, it could be a lot of different things. Uh, maybe your name has certain significance. I'll use my children as an example. Uh, my oldest, Mary Emmeline, uh, is named after, uh, uh, on the paternal side, um, uh, my grandmother, Mary Faith, and then uh, great-great-grandmother, Emma Valerie, Mary Emma Line. Isaac is not a f family name. It is now, accidentally, because a couple of us have put Isaac in some names. But uh, Isaac... Uh, uh, came on the scene in, in a moment where uh, we were praying for a joy from the Lord. And what does Isaac mean? We see it in the scripture. He laughs. It means he laughs. Uh, Carwin, 
our newborn, five months old. What does Carwin mean? It's Welsh. It means blessed love. It's a hearkening back, a testimony, a witness to God's work, his blessed love in mine and Rebecca's life in the country of Wales when we went on short-term mission trips year in and year out. God revealed himself so mightily that we could never forget it, naming even our son, Carwin, after it. Uh, There is a moment where names matter, and we see it here in the Word, and really you see it all throughout the Bible. Uh, Jesus, which is the Greek form of uh, Joshua, uh, the Hebrew Yeshua, which means God will save. Emmanuel, God is with us, right? Uh, We see this over and over where every name begins to reveal something of the Lord and how he is working. Moses, which is uh, in the Hebrew Moshe. Pull him out of the water. It means it means drawn up out of the water. And even as he is drawn up by an Egyptian princess, God himself is drawing Moses up to move him forward in a particular way for God's people. Over and over, we see these names mattering and meaning. And I know the same is true uh, for you and for your family. And if you're thinking, oh man, you know, my name is just because like my parents said they really liked it. That means that there is is meaning. It matters that much that your parents would put in the thought processes. I love this. I want my child to have this name because of the beauty uh, there bestowed. Uh, this Or powerful, right? I've talked to some people. This is a powerful name. There, there's a desire uh, to see that move through your children, whatever it might be for you or for your family. Names matter. Uh, there is something wrapped into it. Identity and meaning. There are roots there. And we see that here for Moses. As, as we saw all that context, Moses sitting at the well, Moses happens to ha- uh, upon these seven ladies. Uh, he helps them. He drives away those bad shepherds, uh, Mo- uh, uh, Moses's father-in-law, but not yet. Uh, he says, hey, y'all, why are you back so soon? What happened? I, you should have been out there for a couple more hours. I mean, you know, did you forget to water all of the sheep? And they say, no, no, no. This Egyptian man, he was just there. I don't know what his deal was. He helped us, first of all, against those bad shepherds. Then he watered all our sheep, so we're home. Uh, he said, man, go get them, right? And so then Moses is there, and as this relationship forms uh, between this family uh, this priest in the wilderness of Midian and, and Moses, uh, as God works, Moses meets his wife. Uh, and as he meets his wife, they have a child. And this child has a name. And this name means something. Gershom, which sounds like the Hebrew word for sojourner. Sojourner meaning one without a home going on a short journey, right? Uh, who were sojourners? in the land. Well, Moses's ancestors were. Uh, The people of God have always been sojourners. But as we think even just this morning right now, and we'll maybe zoom out in a moment, as, as we think about Moses's ancestors in the moment, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, who would be named Israel, these patriarchs that God called were sojourners They had no land 
holding. They were shepherds in the field, watching over their flocks by day and by night. They wandered from this place to that, and even as Abraham stood and heard God's voice promise him all of the land, Abraham owned not a single lick. In faith, he continued to follow after his God. They had no stake or claim at this time. Moses, uh, he was an Egyptian prince, or at least kind of in this noble position. Uh, he probably had some land, or his family did, and he probably lived this life of luxury where uh, here he sat on all of these things. But where does he find himself now? He finds himself content to dwell with the man. Who's the man? He's a priest in Midian. First of all, Midian's in the wilderness. Second of all, he's a priest. Uh, he, he doesn't have a lot. And, and not only that, but now he is going to transition into a shepherd life where he is a sojourner. He does not have these vast quantities of staked claims in this world. Who is he? He's a sojourner. Who is his son? It's Gershom. There is much meaning for the family that we begin to see play out in Moses' life. And it's the setup. It's the setup for Moses to transition from the world unto the Lord. From the mountain that he finds in Egypt of stuff where he looked like a dragon sitting on his possessions to have that wiped away. And he finds himself with nothing but the Lord and his people. God is setting Moses up and he's setting him up to begin to lead his people out of slavery and into freedom, a freedom of the Lord himself in salvation, not just freedom from worldly bonds, but freedom in a spiritual sense that is so much more important. And here's the moment for us. The same is true. And perhaps this is the moment. Centennial, the building, we're not there. We're not there. All the things that we did weekly, we're not there. It's been stripped away. We are sojourners in the land. We are not like the people of God here who were sojourners for 40 years. We're not like Moses, who, by the way, was a sojourner for much more than 40 years. Uh, if you look and see, he actually sojourns for the majority of his life. No, this is just a brief and, and, and minuscule moment uh, in the reality of the history of God's people to see what sojourning really means. But in this moment, as things are being stripped away, and sometimes it feels like sandpaper, on our skin, where we think, oh, I'm raw. Why am I so frustrated? Why does that frustrate me? Why do I want it so badly? We begin to look and see perhaps where God is laying us low in weakness. Dear Christian, not only at Centennial, but any who are listening to me, recognize that God is working right now. You may have been sitting at the well. You may be seeking to do compassion rightly, and yet you might be finding yourself realizing that you are clinging to your own strength and at the same moment realizing that it's not working and you're white-knuckling so hard trying to keep these things up with your mask on and your smile up and your work proficient and efficient so everyone around you looks and sees that you are the real deal and 
and that you are important and that you are worthy and that you are to be kept and that you are to be uh, uh, respected and rejoiced in. And you know, though, you know that it's not true and it's eating you up on the inside. It has been a strong reminder uh, for myself and for many of our leaders at Centennial. And I think it can be a strong reminder for all of us. And we see it right here in the word. Everything is stripped away from Moses. He has been laid low and in weakness. God is setting him up to be the leader of God's people. Not only the leader, the leader who will deliver them out of the land of slavery. Not only that, but to take them all the way to the promised land. Yes, there are some bumps and some bruises, but God uses Moses to get them there. And God is using you. He's using you in mighty ways, but you can't say it's of your own strength or you will be laid low time and time again. And it'll frustrate you and continue to frustrate you. There will be no peace. There will be no contentment. There will only be trial and tribulation. But as we are laid low in our weakness, as we see it, what does God say? He says the same thing that he says to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. Where do we see this most clearly? We see it in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus himself was laid low. This is God we're talking about, who took on the flesh of man, right? He's living this life. He was born in a place where cows eat, right? That's crazy. This is God we're talking about. And he is laid low in weakness and lives this life of weakness. He didn't even have a house. He was a sojourner. Do you remember that? Uh, I want to come along with you. Jesus says, that's fine. Foxes have holes, right? Uh, Even the foxes have a home, but if you come with me, there is no home. In other words, I am a sojourner. There is no home. I am on a journey. We are not there yet. Christian believers, those who are following in the Lord Jesus, we see his work for us. We see him go home. We see him ascend to heaven. We know for a fact and we confess it that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming again on the clouds to call us up and to bring us home too. We pray for it. I hope that you pray for it every day. If you don't, start. And yet in this moment where we begin to realize that we are not strong enough, where we begin to realize that this world isn't as it should be. There's death, there's sickness, there's frustration. People disappoint you, you disappoint you. In this world that is messed up, we realize that we are mere sojourners on a journey laid low in weakness, that God might be revealed in strength, that we might be encouraged and comforted in the Lord Jesus Christ and that those who see us might see the Lord Jesus and those who see the Lord Jesus might believe and come alongside of us. And as we partner together and move forward, we anticipate that great day, that coming of the Lord Jesus, where there is no more weeping, no more tears, no more gnashing of teeth. Those things are all gone. The new has come and it is good. And yet, for now, we sojourn, laid low, but in our weakness, God is strong. Let the Lord work on your behalf. Lay down your burdens this day and recognize that God is working in strength, even in our weaknesses. Do it with me, dear Christian. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you work in our weakness because we are a weak and needy people. 
We need you, God. We need you. And you are there. And you provide. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.